Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Coming to you uh, once again, semi-live from all over the uh, from North America. Yes. Yeah. Hey, I'm your I'm your uh, quasi host Nate Larkin mm. with our other semi quasi host and fearless peerless engineer Mondo. Yes. And uh, the Commodore mm. joining us from far across uh, this great land on the west Quasimodo. coast. Quasimodo. Quasimodo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hey, a question for you, the listener. Uh, have you had good experience or bad experience with mega churches? Do you have an opinion on what's the ideal size for a church? Uh, have you ever felt uh, drawn into the gravitational field of a Death Star church? Mm. Ooh, or has your small church ever done a 40 days of anything campaign because your pastor was influenced by a mega church. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, I, I think people have experienced... That's, that's a great opening question. And I think there are many people that don't even know how much the mega church culture has influenced even their small churches. Yep. Oh, yep. very, very good point. Yep. Oh, yeah, sure. Exactly. So uh, we've, we've got... What, how do you define this mega church? Because the, the word mega church really didn't come around until, what, like the... The first time I heard of Saddleback, uh, I was training in fighting in Los Angeles, and my Sifu <laughs> was also a pastor. Sifu? Okay, I'm going to skate right over that. Okay. <laughs> what? Oh, can, even if you've watched Kung Fu Panda, oh, okay. you've got Shifu on there, right? Yeah, that's, that's right. Okay, gotcha. All right. So, All right. so my teacher uh, uh, was a pastor, and he was really into small groups, did small groups for years. Uh-huh. And he started talking about Rick Warren and Saddleback. This was the very beginning. So I guess it would be about 93, 94 when the first conferences for mm. pastors were happening. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the material coming out of this Orange County church were, were being given out, and pastors were flying in from all over the place. Yeah. And, and it was starting to be used. And so Rick Warren's church and vision in uh, Mission Viejo, California influenced just the way people did church. Meanwhile, Bill Hybels at Willow Creek in Chicago, uh, which our guest is very familiar with today because he's a Chicago man, Chicago pastor, uh, also started doing conferences. Uh, He was doing leadership conferences. I mean, Bill Clinton was the keynote speaker at one of his leadership conferences for pastors. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, I don't care what kind of leader they are. We as pastors need to learn leadership. Meanwhile, you got John Maxwell right. doing the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, and I, I was sent to that conference. So like the corporate leadership strategies, uh, they started to be the template that pastors were accepting, which really changed a lot about church. Mm-hmm. So yeah. how did you see that shift in church, Nate, around the mid-'90s? Well, you know, I grew up in little churches. My dad was a Pentecostal preacher and pastored, you know, tiny churches, storefront churches, uh, country churches. Uh, And we were very much uh, counterculture, blue collar, on the outs. uh, And we we were very aware of the fact that we were peculiar people. uh, And uh, we wore our poverty uh, like a badge of honor uh, because we knew that God really doesn't like rich people. 
And then this amazing <laughs> thing happened within Pentecostalism. This thing called the charismatic movement came mm-hmm. through and, and everything flipped. And suddenly um, it, was, it wasn't cool to be unhip anymore. Um, and yet we, we were we were now on the cutting edge of fashion. Le- that was leisure. That was leisure suit days. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, and I've, I've seen you in your powdered blue leisure, oh, leisure man, suit. Oh man, There's man. that picture out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, now it was uh, uh, prosperity was a sign of God's blessing. Right. And poverty was a sign that you were doing something wrong. Right. God you, were, you were in sin. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that was that would that would and suddenly our churches were blowing up, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, I had, and uh, this was t- around the time of the Jesus movement. Uh so yeah, that was all very very confusing, and then I went on to Princeton Seminary, and and it got and got more confused yet. And then after <laughs> seminary, I heard about this guy in California, who claimed you know his description of his own experience was that he was Pentecostal, he was Reformed in theology and Pentecostal in experience. And I thought, here's a guy who can help me put these lives together and figure out who I am as a Christian. And that was John Wimber and the uh, Vineyard Church. Okay. Yeah. So we wound up, that was the first true mega church that I ever attended. Uh, we flew out and, you know, we did the, uh, uh, you know, we made our uh, pilgrimage to so how, What Anaheim. year was that? Yeah, what year was that? That would have been uh, about in the mid-80s, 85, Okay, so so the Jesus movement, John Wimber was really half. He was the vineyard side of the that movement. Right, right. Calvary got, Chapel the was the Calvary other side. side. Yeah, right. And so that's that's done by the eighties, as far as the first you know explosion of yeah uh, G- Jesus people pot fueled Jesus people power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, did I say that? No, there was a, there was people not smoking pot there. Also, uh, so in the eighties, what was that like? What did it? Well, it was become? intoxicating. First of all, to be in rooms that big. I mean, the the sanctuary in that church there in Anaheim was the size of an airplane hangar, as I remember mm-hmm. it. Right, uh, new styles of worship, and um, you know, he kind of figured out and demystified uh, what we were calling gifts of the spirit, uh, and he could actually teach them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, it was at the same time for me. It was, it was, it, it was, comfort- it's good. It's always, it feels good to be a part of something big and going, mm-hmm. right? right? Yeah. Uh, at the same time, I found I have this chameleon uh, property anyway, this ability to kind of blend. Mm-hmm. And I found myself quickly learning that uh, dialect so well. That within a year of getting involved, I was writing curriculum for their pastors' conferences. Really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and 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 so teaching things that I myself at that point uh, wasn't quite sure of, mm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. You're you're the worship songwriter that knows these are the key words you just got to put in the song and it'll be an awesome song. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I met uh, great people within the Vineyard movement. Um, 
and know great people still in the vineyard movement uh, and, uh, you know, uh, from time to time teach in vineyard churches. And I really appreciate what God has done and continues to do through that movement. Uh, it became clear to me over time that I'm – that um, – Though that that uh, I'm not exactly a vineyard guy. Mm-hmm. So, what was the response of the culture outside of vineyard at that point? Looking in at you know Calvary Chapel Vineyard, uh, it, it doesn't seem like well. Both those groups seem like they were very big in supporting the other ones of their groups, but they weren't trying to convert all the other churches to be like them, it seems like. Am I wrong in that? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I do know I got a, as I got involved in that vineyard church, I got a visit from my friend who was the Calvary pastor in town. And he made it, he was very concerned and made a special trip to my house to warn me against the heresy of the vineyard movement. Uh, and his church went on to just explode, become one of the you know the ten biggest churches in the country, um, and does wonderful work. Uh, he paid a high price for it, and I think a lot of our listeners are familiar what went, went down with my friend in Fort Lauderdale. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, so were it, other were other, so around the country. Churches were aware because he was in Florida at that time. Yeah, your friend. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so he's aware of what's happening in California. Oh, very well aware of it. Yeah, because okay. that's that's when this next church growth movement comes about. Uh, Rick Warren's seeker sensitive that right. phrase that yeah. he coined became a catalyst for uh, so much division in the church. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've got John MacArthur's Shepherd conferences back in the the late '90s, early 2000s, focusing huge chunks of the how do we train pastors? We teach them to not trust Rick Warren. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and if I sound like I think that's a bad idea, I do think it's a bad idea when Christians focus their whole energy on tearing down other Christians. Uh, I'm going to go on the record for that one. Yeah. Uh, but it, you read, I remember back then arguing with people. I, I could care less if they liked what Rick was doing or not, but they had only received sound bites. If they read the book, The Purpose Driven Church, and yeah. that's different than The uh, Purpose Driven Life. Right. These yeah. are two different, you know, he yeah. doesn't have a lot of words evidently for titles of books. Yeah. Did so he ever do The break. Purpose Driven Pet? I mean, I know that was... <laughs> wasn't that, was that going to be the... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. The PDP. Yeah. <laughs> But you know the the seeker sensitive was never uh, the big the big criticism was oh we don't want to change the message you know right. water down the message to be nice to people that was never what that meant right. it meant right. hey if you got a guest make sure they know where the bathroom is so they don't have to hold their pee through your whole service yeah, right. that's being sensitive to a person coming right. to church seeking God right. yeah and that's just called good manners yeah uh, I actually took a uh, a reformed uh, monk oblate to a conference at Saddleback, who was sure that he was going to hate it. He went there to hate it. Yeah. And by the, the halfway point of the conference, he said, they're not talking about theology at all. I can apply all of this to what I believe. <laughs> uh, so then uh, I, I just, I have to say that the part that broke my heart, because Rick's, uh, Rick's personal assistant, the guy that, you know, did went with him everywhere, scheduled yeah. everything. He had been discipled by the pastor I worked with. So when we would go down there, we were kind of, we got to see behind the curtain right, every yeah. time we were down there. Yeah, yeah. And the, the Rick Warren 
has such an amazing heart. He's doing his best to show who Jesus Christ is in practical ways and in conversational ways. It's not just a social gospel for him. Uh, So it bums me out when people take uh, an idea they don't like and just skewer the man because it's Mm -hmm. just wrong. That's not who he is. But then I've got my other my my most charismatic pursuit experience. So this you know this is good for you. I'm trying to relate to you right now, Nate. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we decided uh, in San Luis we wanted to do a series on prayer and the church becoming a praying place. Yeah. And and of course we're like that's a good idea. That's always a good idea. And I remember going into. Uh, to the, the senior pastor's office, I said, have you ever actually seen a church doing the stuff we're about to teach? And he paused and he said, you know what? No, I've never been in a church that does this. Well, Jim Cimbala in Brooklyn, New York, mm-hmm. uh, his church, Brooklyn Tabernacle, lots of people know the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, had just written his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, Yeah, which is an extraordinary book about how their church was really built on a prayer service, not on a Sunday morning service. So I said, hey, how about we, I'll call them, I'll find out when they're just having a normal week, not a conference. I was sick of conferences at this point where everybody gives the highlights. Yeah. I said, let's go go find a seedy place in the middle of Brooklyn to stay for seven days, and every day we'll just go either be with the people in their prayer meetings or their studies, or sit around in their office, hanging out with their staff, and just see what a church looks like that makes the claims in this book. Mm-hmm. Again, there are so many books that claim the highlights of things. Yeah. I want to see, do they actually do it? Mm-hmm. And so I went with some skepticism. I'm a little skeptical about everything. And we get there, and they had prayer 24 hours a day. So I remember one night we said, okay, 2 in the morning, let's get up and go walk. We could walk down to the Brooklyn Tabernacle, and let's see if someone's praying. And we showed up 2 in the morning, and there were about 12 people sitting in a room and this this hour, hour and a half was devoted to this book that just had random countries and facts about countries. Mm-hmm. And so we spent an hour and a half reading about the struggle. It was some small African country I hadn't even heard of. And they're reading about what's happening in their government, what's happening with their food, and people just like crying out to the Lord on behalf of them. Wow. So you got the Wednesday night meeting that was insane and amazing, really good. Nothing happened there that made my non-charismatic uh, past, you know, rankle at all. Mm-hmm. It, it was it was just awesome prayer. Uh, but then you had these meetings of twelve people at a time all the time, and so I I I got to see how the mega church thing yeah. can be real. It's not just about a corporate machine necessarily, right? But it certainly can become that. So what have you seen when churches have? gotten so big that having corporate-style leadership and corporate-style yeah. branding, the negative side of that, what have you seen? Well, you know, it, it certainly can go there. When it, when it becomes a, uh, an ego vehicle for the pastor or for the leadership, mm-hmm. uh, when it takes on a, a, a political tone, in my opinion, mm-hmm. when it becomes merely a vehicle to advance uh, a political agenda, when it turns ideological mm-hmm. rather than theological, um, man, to me, it, it, it becomes, you know, another Tupperware rally. I, mm-hmm. I, I can't handle it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I think it's a testimony, for example, to, that, to, the, to the Calvary Chapel in uh, Fort Lauderdale. 
with you know with a very charismatic uh, in the non-charismatic sense of the term founding pastor, good teacher uh, who hits a wall in a very public way. Um, it, do you know that uh, their attendance in the three months since that all went down, their attendance has declined two percent, hmm. and their giving has actually hmm. grown. Two percent? Yeah. That, I I was just waiting for you to say it went down fifty percent. No. Uh, like I think Mars Hill with yeah. Mark Driscoll right yeah. now has gone down. Yeah. Like you, because that is so beautiful. Because that church is built on small groups, and it, and it's not built on the pastor. Right. It, I mean, everybody everybody loves the pastor, and but, yeah, but he's not the he's not the reason why people are there. Yeah, I mean, the last time uh, you know we visited maybe five or six years ago, we went to a Wednesday night service, and we went with friends, and it's a massive auditorium. And they said, "Look, uh, if you want to get a seat, you got to get there early." Really? How early? Well, we got to get there at least an hour early. So we get there. <laughs> we get there an hour. Er, we get there an hour early. And we go inside, and, and there are Bibles lined up outside the door. The doors are still locked to the sanctuary. There are Bibles lined up because mm. um, that's how you save your place in line. Mm. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Are you, yeah. touching your, are you touching my Bible? What do you think Jesus thinks about that? Yeah. Fool? I, uh, and when you see, uh, you know, when you see the way that church has affected. That community changed the culture mm-hmm. in that city. Mm-hmm. Then, then, um, yeah, and they take a ton of heat just because they're the biggest church in town. Yeah, and they're broken, and they've you know, they, and they're it's now clear that their pastor, uh, founding pastor, wasn't perfect. And I think maybe that's helped folks to understand that the present pastor isn't perfect either. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've gone more to a team leadership. Uh, model, model yeah. which I think is a safer way to go. Yeah. So let's talk about mo- most people aren't in a mega church. So our listeners are in small towns like uh, the 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 town that the church that I get to pastor. Yeah. It's not even a city; it's a town between two cities, one of about twenty thousand people and one of about twenty eight thousand people, and then the town the church is in is maybe six thousand people. Okay. So there there is no possibility of a mega church mentality. We right. live in a rural area. Right. Uh, so that's where most people are. Right. And what, what is... You grew up in that same kind of environment that a church... This is a, a true community. Yeah, you're going to yeah. know almost everybody here. Yeah. And we're going to work through all the junk. You're going to know way too much about a lot of people here and have yeah. to decide what do we do with it. Uh, what is the difference between... A mega church and just a, a a local congregation of that sort. What are the similarities? What are the differences? How should people even see that? What are the paradigms? Yeah, go ahead. I, yeah, I, you know, I, I think he, here, I all of us have a, a limitation to how many relationships we can actually have. Yeah. And the church is a relational place. It's a it's an organism, not an organization, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we uh, we are all of us part of a body, and we have to find a way. If we're actually going to enter the corporate life of the church, we have to find a way mm-hmm. to form real relationships with actual people. And, mm-hmm. and to me, that the 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 
the dividing line between a, a healthy, I'm not even going to say between a, a healthy megachurch and an unhealthy one, because I think you can attend a healthy megachurch in an unhealthy way. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right? Ooh, say that again. Say that yeah. again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Some, yeah. Sometimes it has nothing to do with the health of the church. Absolutely. Yeah, no, no, and no. S- small churches as well. I don't think uh, you have yeah. to put mega church on that. If all I'm going to do is show up to sit in the stadium seating right. Right. and catch a buzz off the crowd right. and then leave, right. and nobody's going to know me, and I'm not going to be engaged in ministry, right. I'm not going to form real relationships, right. then it doesn't matter how healthy that church is, unhealthy, my relationship is unhealthy. Yeah. Either way, yeah. unhealthy or unhealthy. Yeah. Um, mega churches, it seems, in, in my perspective, it's easier to hide. Yeah, uh, it's the the accountability of proximity mm-hmm. isn't as strong in a mega church. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, Imagine you know living in a house with a, a huge mansion with five people. Mm-hmm. You, you're not really forced to engage, but if you live in a twenty by twenty home with five people, just proximity alone is going to put a little heat on you to engage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And and, and I, it's it's yeah I agree with that I mean there's I think some healthy mega churches that have some unhealthy people just kind of existing yeah but yeah. they've and it, to me man I I don't know maybe this is uh, my my jaded perspective but I feel like if you go to a healthy mega church um, and you're hiding it's more about you mm-hmm. you, you want to feel good about hey I'm I'm going to church yeah 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 I'm existing with the Christians yeah. And you're not engaging. It's a, it's a very uh, s- selfish per- perspective and approach to to church. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. You're not. You know. You know. That's why they, a lot of these churches have small groups. They have yeah. these. You know, different. Hey, you can plug in here. Plug in here. Plug in here. Uh, you know, they have, may, churches may have fifty different groups, and you just decide just to go on Sunday or Wednesday night. Yeah, yeah. It's it's that's stroking my conscience. You know, I, yeah. I feel good about what I'm doing yeah. versus plugging in and being a part and feeling good about what's going on as a whole as a body. Yeah. Um, small churches are, are great. Big churches are great too. There's unhealthy small ones, there's yeah. unhealthy big ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I've experienced both. Yeah. I grew up in a small church of like probably 75 yeah, people yeah, yeah. and bounced around and then ended up attending mega church. Uh, it is a culture shock. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah. a major culture shock. Where's the closest mega church to you guys, Aaron? Uh, I mean, I'm sure you're going to have some big-ish ones in San Jose. Yeah, uh, I knew some pastors in Santa Barbara that was pretty big, but not. They're not going to be nationally one of the top ten biggest right. churches yeah, in the yeah, country. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, yeah, have, sure. you really have to go to L.A. area, yeah, yeah, Orange yeah. County area right. for that. So, like three hours away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you, you know, California is very spread out, so right. it's not <laughs> yeah. like you Tennessee people. Uh, the, what you're saying is interesting, Mondo. We've actually written this out uh, in church before, answering a simple question that anybody can answer: mm-hmm. What is the church supposed to do or be about? And they start making a list of like uh, they're supposed to be active in the community. They're supposed to care for each other, help the sick. They start making a list. All right. And inevitably, with that list, uh, about it's it's almost a half and half split every time. That half of it is possible to do on a Sunday morning, and half is impossible to do on a Sunday morning. Which, when we see the early church in Acts, 
the statement is about believers devoting themselves to each other daily in their houses, eating, praying, devoting themselves to the teaching of the apostles. So they had their Sunday morning thing. The yeah. Jewish deal was we get together once a week. Well, not Sunday, but Saturday. Uh, we're going to get together in the synagogue. We're going to read the word. We're going to sing. There's going to be some teaching. So when people are like, well, we don't do the New Testament church, actually, we, we kind of do. We have the same elements, mm-hmm. but the church that Jesus brought into play by the power of his spirit, half of it cannot happen on Sunday morning, Yeah, which yeah. means if I only go on Sunday morning, I have not yet experienced church right. if I only go there. Right. So today we get to talk with uh, a guy who is, uh, you said his church is uh, ranked in the top 10, right? Isn't that true, Nate? Well, no, no. This one, uh, uh, Tim Harlow uh, keeps going the way it is. He'll be in the top 10. He's in the top 100 now, though. Okay, top 100. Well, that that ain't bad to be on the billboard, top 100 churches in the nation. Yeah, one of the fastest growing. All right. Uh, so we're going to get to but, hear but he his has, heart. Yeah, but he has a, a, a countercultural... Uh, he, he has some challenges to uh, conventional thinking within the church about uh, how best for us to uh, uh, fulfill this mandate mm-hmm. to be present in the world. And his book, by the way, Life on Mission, is the first one uh, released by Rick Warren's new publishing company. So, uh, yeah. so I hope everybody sees what I saw and what Mondo saw even out in the, the driveway, and that's... I hope people get to experience the man behind the pulpit of a church of more than 10,000 people, because these are human beings, they're men, and I think Tim is one of the most uh, genuine I have ever met. Yeah, I agree. And we'll be back with Tim Harlow in just a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. I reach out to my brother, I will take his outstretched hand If I'm to travel much further In a dark and dreary land I will need to recover My strength to stand And we're back on the Pirate Monk Podcast, and fortunate, so fortunate, to have with us in the studio here, Studio A, in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee, (laughs) 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 a pirate monk of a pastor, uh, Tim Harlow, pastor of Parkview Christian Church in suburban Chicago, author of a new book that uh, is going to be huge called Life on Mission, uh, is here and I've got about a half a dozen questions, at least That's, a half a dozen questions. Fire them away, man. I'm yeah, glad yeah, I'm here. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, thanks, by the way. Thank you for driving down just for this. I, I understand that that uh, this was your only purpose for coming to Tennessee. My only purpose was to drive to Brent. <laughs> <laughs> and then while you were here, a grandchild yeah. happened to be right, born, but right, you know, right. that was just a plus. <laughs> that, was just a, that was just a bonus. Yeah, it just, yeah. just worked out that way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So... Um, Take us back 20 years ago. Was it 20, 25 years uh, ago? Do uh, I have to? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> okay. What was it like? You took this, you, you, you walked into your church job there. And... 20, it was 20, it'll be 25 years in January. Okay. Um, walked in at 28. I had been in youth ministry. You know, this church was 
150 people being held together by a church planting organization uh-huh. um, and some duct tape. Yeah. It, it was it was in bad shape. Two groups that didn't like each other, you know, the mm-hmm. let's be modern group and sing with a guitar and the <laughs> let's sing all the hymns, you know, yeah. with the organ group where we're battling each other. And, and, you know, and the role of women and, and everything else. Yeah. And, um, and and I had no experience. So, you know, no, you know, Brentwood Baptist wasn't, you know, clamoring to hire me to be their, their pastor. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah. you know, these guys couldn't get anybody, any other suckers to take their job. So it was a match made in heaven, basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, uh, you know, we got together. We Things started to, to happen well. Um for you know a while, the, the typical pattern in these things is uh, you'll get a little bit of uh, a little bit of growth. Everybody right. will kind of rally. They got the honeymoon period, and then all of a sudden things start to change. All of a sudden, I'm not comfortable. I, you know, there's right. people here I don't know, and um, you know, along the way, it was uh, it was the leadership not liking what I was doing. Um, if there was one, if there's one quality about me that made made this thing work, it's that I'm really, really stubborn. I'm really bullheaded, and and I gutted it out and kind of outlasted, you know, some of the leadership that didn't like what I was doing, mm-hmm. basically. So, so the story here is yeah. we're seven years in to my amazing God-filled leadership, and it was time to relocate. <laughs> yeah. By that time, we doubled to about 300. Yeah, yeah. It's time to relocate. We yeah. took a congr- We had to take a congregational vote to relocate, and um, only needed a majority, thankfully, yeah. and we got 56%. Right. After seven years of me setting the vision, you know, by that time I'm 35, I'm, I'm older than Jesus when he left his ministry. Yeah, right, right. I'm mature now. You know, I've done this. Um, only well, 56. And at, and at 50, that's, that's an interesting, as a pastor, I hear the words 56%, and I think, oh, that's a really bad deal because no, now you're going to you're going to take a big step and half the people are going to be really pissed Bingo. about it. Bingo. Yeah, and you're <laughs> yeah. taking them with you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're all thinking, well, you know, if we get 90, it'll be awesome. If we yeah. get 80, we'll still do it. Yeah. 56 is just, you know, it it's, just it's, shows it's that a split. The split had not healed. Right. Yeah. Let's right. call it that. The primary group had not welcomed the newcomer. No. Right. No. Okay. Absolutely. Um, the beauty was at this point we had put in the right leadership. And mm-hmm. the leadership said, um, you know what? This is God's vision for us. We're going to follow God, not the sheep, because we're shepherds, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to follow God, not the sheep. And we're going to take the sheep where they need to go. We'd made the decision to go and uh, had a really bad year when everybody was mad and left. And, you know, yeah. and we've grown an average of 25% a year since that moment, since since God saw that you know we were serious about this, yeah, and we yeah. would take care of the sheep if He sent them our way, we've been one of the fastest growing churches in the country. Yeah, 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 yeah. One of, and one of the now already one of the hundred largest. I mean, you're up to yeah. like seven thousand people. Yeah, yeah. Multiple in, in a place, now? multiple campuses. Yeah, and and more to come. But in a place that is so not Nashville. I mean, it's yeah. So, it, the, there are no, there are so few other evangelical works going on in our area. You yeah. hear about Willow Creek, you hear about Harvest Bible Chapel. They're on the west side, you yeah. know, west north side. Yeah, we're in the south suburbs where all the all the European immigrants mm-hmm. white flighted their way out of Chicago right. down to the southern suburbs and. 80% Catholic. Yeah. So it's a it's a really different and a really cool demographic. Right. I love that part. 80% Catholic? 80% now? Catholic even now. Really? Yeah. 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 Well, in, in name, you know, I mean, that's right. That's what they would call themselves. That, yeah. 
yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Sorry, I just filtered three things right there. I want you to know my filter <laughs> is on the ball. Yep. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so, um, so you're not growing by uh, attracting people from other large evangelical churches. No, 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 not at all. We We're, baptized uh, six thousand people in uh, the last twenty years. Holy smokes! How often do you hear that these days? Yeah, 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 wow. yeah. No, there's there's no sheep to steal. Yeah, I, I, I mean, <laughs> other than, and I don't mean that yeah, yeah, offensively. Right, 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 I mean, right, right. you know, yeah, the, yeah, sure. it, it is what it is. Other than the fact that the sheep that we're surrounding ourselves with are sheep that grew up in a system, a Catholic system, right. and and they're finally the generation that said, I'm not going to do this anymore. Right. Their parents' generation didn't like it. They didn't go. They didn't go to Mass unless there was a funeral or a wedding, but they couldn't pull away this right. generation and the next generation. They're saying, hey, I'm not going anywhere unless something real is happening. Right. So yeah. those are fun people, man. So how did you go from this this group that started out so utterly self-focused that you were dealing with the the splits and the arguments and all of that to what, well, first maybe you should define what is this mission-focused church? What is a mission-focused church? Well, it's... it's Are we avoiding the word missional because it's old and tired? Um, uh, it'd be okay with me because I, I don't think anybody ever figured out what missional really meant. But, you know, I, I mean, I've got a lot of friends in that movement and we, you know, we, we, can, we can get through it one way or the other. It's, it's, for us, it was a focus on the people outside the, the people that are there. Okay? To, to me, Jesus' mission was to seek and save the lost, the prodigal son. It was, it was, for me, it was, about, it was about the vision of who it is that we needed to reach, and it was about celebrating the vision of who those people were. So, um, you know, we, we loved it when people came, but yeah. we would always tell the stories of those who came from farther away. Uh-huh. You know, and, and and we would celebrate the fact, that, you know, obviously just like any other large church that's uh, that's figured out how to do ministry in the 21st century, you know, I preach in jeans and, you know, yeah. we have a contemporary worship service and, you know, we use all the stuff that anybody else does. But but for us, it was about the vision of who this is that we really want to be about. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that boils down to the pastor's heart. Yeah. People always knew that's who I was, and that's what I'm going to celebrate. Yeah. Um, and, and you know that's who my kids' friends were, and you know that that's just it's just a part of who we were. I think mm-hmm. it was natural. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do you how how do you as a pastor or the leaders get people to have a focus on people outside the building without saying, hey? I actually care more about the people outside of the building than you people inside this place. Because I I know so many churches that put such an emphasis, just like you would describe, but they never know how to love the people there. So it's it's either reaching out or it's discipling, but doing both is very difficult. So how would you navigate that? The hair is standing up on the back of my neck. That that's the exact problem. The exact problem is that most of us are trying to figure. Okay, we uh, Christianity, Christendom in general, will go through you know this this ebb and flow of okay, we're all into discipleship. You know, we've all mm-hmm. got to get into navigators. We got to do this. Okay, then here comes you know seeker sensitive and and hybels and all, all right, those right. guys, and we got to get back into evangelism. And 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 our pendulum has to somehow keep swinging back and forth right. instead of doing what Jesus. Jesus told us to do in the first place, which is to make disciples. I mean, 
I, I've been, I, I just blogged about this myself this week. This is so huge for me. I'm a first time grandpa as of three days ago. Yeah. Okay. The, one of the things they don't tell you about being a grandpa, they always say, oh, it's going to be so great. You're going to love it. And, and I'm thinking, they mean, I'm going to love my grandson. And, and, and I obviously am. And he's a mm. son. I have three daughters. So this is God's way of saying, <laughs> I'm going to wait until you're 53 and maybe you're mature enough to, you know, not screw up a little boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's yeah. basically what I got. Now. <laughs> so I'm elated, man. Me and this kid are going to cause some trouble. But, but the, thing, <laughs> the thing that's going to be cool, the thing that I did not realize about being a grandparent, the, the beauty of it is watching my daughter become a mother. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which is yeah. discipleship. It is multiplication. Yeah. You know, we're supposed to be fruitful and multiply. I was fruitful with her. Now yeah. she is multiplying. Yeah. And yeah. the problem with a lot of churches is that they want to get every, you know, they, they want to say, okay, we're going to be about the seeker. We're going to be about the person out there, mm-hmm. which means we're going to leave you people alone. Mm-hmm. Or we're going to be about you people and hope that some of you people go get those people out there. The, that's, not the, that's not discipleship. It, we disciple these people and get them excited about going out there yeah. and being on mission. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and and then if it you know if I die if I get hit by a bus if I have to resign for you know, whatever uh, you know yeah. amorphous reasons are going on in ministry, hopefully at that point my people have been trained to go and to continue to be disciples and and I will see fruit as a grandfather a spiritual grandfather from these people and not just hey everybody come and hear me preach because I'm awesome yeah yeah. Yeah. And that's what that's that's life on mission. That's what this program's for. Mm. It's, I, don't, guys... I don't want to step over your twelve questions, Nate. And, and Newton's <laughs> already doing it. Uh, the rude little man. I tell you what. Yeah. <laughs> I so see how, you there, Newton. How do you guys do that? Um, how do you empower or exhort yeah. your your current pew sitters to go get more? Pew-sitters. I yeah. don't mean pew-sitters in a negative way. No, no, but no. Yeah. The people that are in your church, how do you guys do that? It's a great question, and, and I think there's a couple of things to it. Number one, and it took us a long time to do this, but number one, well, number one, it's not about bringing them to church. Okay, we all know that, yeah. all right? right? But it's about relationship, and it's about these guys going out and being in somebody else's life. That's really the important part. Mm-hmm. And the stats are most Christians after seven years in the church don't know any non-Christians, and they're not even given permission because we got them Bible studying and you know small grouping and choir practicing so much they don't have time to go have a relationship, you know, with somebody that's outside the body of Christ. Yeah. Or so, or they well, think they're just, not supposed said. to. Huh. Do you do you actually tell your people that? Because you said, well, we all know it's not about bringing them to church. Yeah. Uh, and I know so many pastors that would nod and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not what they're telling their people. Do you actually tell them, we just want you in relationships with them? This is not about you getting them into attendance here. That's 100%. not the goal. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing that in the last, in the last few weeks specifically because <laughs> – at the again, at the end of the day, it's if it's only about how many Jesus followers I can get in my building or one of my buildings, mm-hmm. you know, I could be the largest church in the country and still there are four million people within a thirty minute drive time of our two campuses. I'm in Chicago. Yeah. You know? I mean yeah. this is this is not going to work. So go be in relationship with them. I don't care, you know, if they got relations in another church, then go hang out at that church. It, it really, really doesn't matter to me at this point in my life because I'm about what's getting ready to happen. I'm about the multiplication. I'm about being a grandpa now. That's my life. And, and you modeled this 
I, and this is important from, from what I was reading uh, leading up to this interview, this isn't just something that you know is a good idea, that it's a biblical idea, but it's something that you practiced in relationships in your own life. Uh, yeah. Can you give us give us that picture? Give us that's an story. important piece. Yeah, it's a it's a fantastic story and a and a and a time consuming story in my life because um, you know I I've always had good relationships with people in the in the area, but as the pastor of the largest church in the in the area, it's hard to be a center magnet. You know, mm-hmm. it's not not a lot of people are like, hey, I want to hang out with you because everybody knows you. Yeah. Um, and, and it was really a life changing moment a couple of years ago when. At the health club, public health club that I go to to work out, so that I'm not, so I have an option to be around people. I met this biker dude, and um, I just said, hey, I mean, this ex Hell's Angel guy, just gigantic tank, you know, tatted up yeah. dude. And I, I, I just said, hey man, how you doing? Yeah. And that was my opening line. Th- this is a really important part of this. Is um, no, we uh, to go back to answer your yeah. question. There's not an evangelism training program. Right. I hate I, I hate <laughs> yeah. those. Okay, I, I don't I don't want them to know the four spiritual laws or the ten timely truths. We're supposed to go be a witness. Yeah, that's yeah. what Jesus said. Just be a witness, right? Okay, so so you know my my intro line with this biker dude was, "Hey man, how you doing?" Yeah, and uh, and and he said, "I'm not doing so good. Maybe I ought to call you." And I was like, I didn't even know he knew who I was, so right, I right. gave him my cell number. And uh, we started talking. It turns out, you know, I mean, his life was a mess. You know, he's yeah. having an affair, losing his second marriage, who was the woman that he was having an affair that he lost his first marriage to. You know, I mean, just all this kind of stuff. But the process of me getting involved in Mike's life and then um, being able to, you know, baptize him and, and have him, you know, yeah. then like for Easter, we got to show the video of him and a, and a, and a biker outlaw who are like the Bloods and the Crips are like the opposite. They, they, they kill each other in bars. He's helping baptize a, a, a biker outlaw, <laughs> you know, who he's helped That's bring awesome. to Jesus. Yeah. And that yeah. was our Easter story. I mean, you know, you, you can't get enough mileage out of something like that. My, my ministry to people that are outside my comfort zone, like yeah. Jesus was always doing, meant that, that Mike is around and then Mike is able to be involved in this other guy's life. Yeah. And, and that's all very public for everybody to know. And Mike sits in the, you know, in the third row every Saturday night, <clears throat> excuse me, and he's there. And he's yeah. a mess. He's yeah. getting ready to go to jail because he can't figure out what order protection means. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. and 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 you know, it, it's a constant. It's a constant deal. It's a messy deal. Yeah, and people know that. And I think I think that's been a huge thing for us. Yeah, yeah, people yeah. to see that. So, uh, so what is what is step one for a, a Christian? Because these kinds of stories yeah. are always inspiring, <clears throat> and I have one friend who loves to say. Well, you're just, you're different. You, and he names a couple other people, have all these really weird stories about people you meet and stuff that happens. That doesn't happen to normal people. You pastors just don't understand that the stories you tell on Sunday mm-hmm. are not the kinds of things that happen to normal people. And you need to get that through your head so that you can teach us better. And I that's, love that he says that. Yeah, that's great. Uh, but what does that mean for the people that are listening to a story about a you know, a biker who knew who you were, who said, I want to be called, like all of that was awesomely pastoral. And the, the, the story with the other biker game, all of that is so awesome. But I think that most people listening to this think it has nothing to do with them. Well, it, and, it, and it won't if they're living in their Christian bubble. 
Mm-hmm. And, the, and the problem is, again, they've got to break out of the Christian bubble. And, it, right. it, you know, it's pretty simple for us in our area. I, I mean, yeah, we're in Nashville, okay? Yeah. Um, there's a, this is like the buckle of the Bible belt, man. Right. I mean, the right. Christian, there are people that that are in this area that are, that they, they couldn't find a non-believer unless they really, really worked at it. Right. Well, if you're in that kind of a situation... Then really, really work at it. Isn't that why you're here? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. go. Uh, I'm just going to blow it out there. Go find a new bar. Yeah, you know, yeah. go find a new place where you can go hang out. Go find a new health club where you can meet some new people because that's the only reason Jesus left you here. Rick Warren's got a great line about that. Only two things you can do here that you can't do in heaven. Sin and tell people about Jesus. So which one do you think he left you here to do? Right? Oh, that's good. <laughs> I, I mean, you, you, you gotta go. You gotta go connect with somebody, and if it takes if it takes work, then go. Then let it take work. But most importantly, you know, connect with them. Don't talk about Jesus. Don't talk about God. Yeah. And I'll take the fish off the back of your car. Go be a normal person <laughs> and hang out. <laughs> just hang out. Have a beer with them. Yeah. Yeah. Now yeah. um, we should just stop there. <laughs> no, I think I think we shouldn't change directions just yet, Nate. I saw your yeah. changing directions look. Um, what What do you tell people? Okay, I'm going to take. I'm going to give one night a week to go be somewhere. I'm going to go hang out at the health club. I'm going to go down to McCreary's in downtown Franklin. Whatever. Here I am. You're saying, you know, I, I can't have the transactional evangelism mindset where I'm going to try to turn a conversation into a conversation about Jesus. No way. So put that away. All right. So what do I do? I mean, it's the most obvious question in the world because they talk to people every day. But if you say to someone, go do this, mm. they'll sit there and think, I don't know what to say right now. Mm. So what do they say? That's a great question. Walk them through it. I, I, I don't know where I heard the quote originally. I put it in the book, but... Uh, somebody said the best evangelistic tools you have are on the side of your head. Mm-hmm. They're your huh. ears. You don't say anything. I mean, back to the discussion, you're already in the PTA. You're already in a place where there are going to be, you know, unless you're just a, a complete Christian bubble, there are going to be people around. You probably don't need to work very hard at it. But when you're there, be there, be yeah. engaged. And start asking questions. Start yeah. listening. You know, talk about complete things that, that don't seem... Everybody needs God. We know that. And, and people are hungry for God. And even though, you know, our nation is, is you know, moving farther and farther away from it, I, I love where we're at now because Christianity's always been the most effective from the outside. Right. So we're on the outside now. You just listen. You ask questions. And you get to know people, and yeah. it may take it may be years before there's a, a situation where they say, "You know what? I I got, I got a question for you." Yeah. And, and at the same time, understand that God is in charge of this process. You know, I preached on Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch just last week. I mean, you know, God just told Philip, "Hey, go up to that chariot and run up next to it." Does he still do that today? I mean, does, is God's, you know, is his iOS messed up? He changed to iOS 8 and he can't make phone calls? I mean, he still will put you in places where he can get yeah. a conversation going. What I'm not hearing from you is that uh, we've got to su- we've got to subject a new convert to <coughs> a seminary education before we <laughs> authorize him, right, 
to go out and talk about Jesus, or even before we'll baptize them. Talk about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, to, to us, I mean, everybody doctrinally lands in a different place. But for us, baptism is, uh, what I see in the Bible was it was an initial step, yeah. right? 3,000 people, day of Pentecost, Peter gets up and says, hey, you guys killed Jesus. And they're like, oh, man, what should we do? He said, go get baptized. And they went and baptized him. Yeah. That was an initiation step. Yeah. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, the disciple thing is fascinating because this is, I completely stole this from Larry Osborne's book, Accidental Pharisee. But he talks in this book about the fact that um, it, it tells us that Joseph of Arimathea was a disciple of Jesus, but privately for fear of the Jews. Mm-hmm. So Joseph gave up his tomb for Jesus to be buried in. And he sucked at discipleship. He was so afraid of being, you know, related to Jesus that he didn't even tell anybody he was following Jesus. Uh-huh. That's a bad disciple. Yeah. But yeah. he's still called a disciple of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You're a disciple of Jesus from the minute you start following him. Yeah, right. Or even minutely trying to imitate him. Mm-hmm. You're a disciple of Jesus. So, no, I, I, the last thing I would want you to do is go get a seminary degree and screw up your life. Because <laughs> then you're not going to be any good to anybody. Amen. <laughs> that's, a, that's a special note to all you pastors out there. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, that's okay. There, there are three people in the room that can calculate the cost of that statement. That's so. right. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, I approach uh, the Christian life these days very often, most often it seems, through the, through the lens of recovery. Mm-hmm. Since I really kind of rediscovered, or sometimes I actually think actually discovered the gospel yeah. through uh, my own addiction and recovery. Mm-hmm. I am quite certain that a significant percentage of the new believers who make their way to uh, Parkview Christian mm-hmm. have addiction battles going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, the message that I get uh, consistently from the institutional church is you got to get that stuff straightened out before you're going to be of any use. Mm. Um, and time is of the essence. Uh, there is a, 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 a big call for p- perfection and um, not much uh, time for improvement or progress. Mm. So... Uh, you know, with that as an intro, yeah. how do you how do you uh, introduce these the, you know these new believers to this new life of Christ uh, when you know that they've got battles going on? Yeah, that's a, a part of it. I would say my answer to that, Nate, is a part of that is about my preaching and my preaching style, mm-hmm. um, which is never um, me preaching down to them. Mm-hmm. It, it's always about. You know my own stuff going on, and I'm mm-hmm. you know I'm not as good as I ought to be either, and yeah. you know those kinds of things, and the perfection, uh, a perfection mindset, something that you know a lot of us broke out of. I grew up in the church, you know, my wife grew up in the church. We came from that kind of a background, mm-hmm. uh, so we downplay that as often as we can, and I I will even, I will even purposefully do things. Uh, in my sermons, I, I will talk about, you know, I will make a joke. I, I can't think of something right off the bat, but I'll make a joke that will include a 
um, you know, a top 40 song, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. I, I quoted Ariana Grande the other day. I just kind of slid her in, you know. Got one less problem without you. Kind of slid it in. And, and those kinds of things make people understand that I live in their world. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really, really important because the problem with most of my Catholics is their priest did not obviously live in their world. Right. And he wasn't even married. He had no idea, you know, what was going on or worse, you know, the worst stories. So, so I've got to live in their world. And when they see me living in their world, you know, one of the things, um, one of the things I talk about a lot is what I want for people to do when they, when they hear me preach, I want, I want to connect with the guys. That's, that's a big point for me. And I want every guy out there to, to, to look at me and go, okay, that guy's not too weird. I could, I could have a beer with him. You know, mm -hmm. he seems like a normal guy. That's what I want. So the preaching style and the ministry of Parkview is very much normal person-ish. So we don't ever put anybody up on a pedestal and say, look at this, yeah. look at who this person is. And then we tell stories a lot. We use a lot of testimonies and a lot of stories of people who will talk about their addiction, who will talk, and we have a big Celebrate Recovery program and, mm -hmm. you know, ev everything that we can <clears throat> to help people go through these things. But we will always use their testimony, but not in the way of you know, I'm done now. Now I can do my ministry. <laughs> right, yeah. But in a way of what I was able to do, I honestly think that whole thing is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. it, 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 once, a, once a person gets completely, if there's a possibility of being completely healed from an addiction, which I doubt that there ever is, yeah. I think they become very, very useless. All they can do is teach other people how to teach people how to not be addicted. Yeah, 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 in the middle yeah. of the journey yeah. is where you are the disciple. Yeah. And you look at the disciples. I mean, I'm always it's always ironic to me to, to look at, you know, Peter yelling at, or Paul yelling at Peter, in the book of Galatians, I mean, how far are we in? Yeah, right. And Peter right. has fallen back into his his default legalism position. I mean, right. th these guys, th th they didn't become perfect. Yeah. And I think that's the, I think that's the key. No, nobody wants that. And if we start holding that up as an ideal, honestly, that's where I think this new pope is so huge for Catholicism. Yeah. Because yeah. he's like this normal guy. Yeah. And, and and they're looking at this and they're going, hey, Pope Francis, he lives where we live and he cares about people. Yeah. 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 So if that's not the goal to be perfect, what's the goal? The Give goal me the, is bumper, the bumper sticker answer, man. Yeah, yeah. No, the, the goal is to be the goal is to be like Jesus. All right. Okay. Yeah. And and was Jesus perfect? Yes. Are we going to be perfect? No. I mean, the, the goal is to look like Jesus. And even even when I will talk about you know I want to live a a more pure lifestyle, mm -hmm. um, it's only because. It's not because I think God's going to like me more. I right. talk about that a ton. God loves loved me when I was horrible. He mm -hmm. loves me when I'm in the middle, and he'll love me if I ever get perfected. But, but it's not about that. My light shines in a brighter place. Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they will see your good deeds and glorify my Father in heaven. I'm going to be, I'm preaching about that this weekend. I'm going to be a better witness when I'm more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. why the goal is that. It's not that I'm trying to make anybody happy. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, the new book comes out uh, when? Is it? Well, it's, out. it's out. It's out. Okay. Yeah, I'm, okay. It's non-traditional kind of publishing. Pastors.com put it out for me. Oh, wow. Um, so it's going, through, it's going through them, which is a, is a huge deal. It's a 40 days of mission. It's the first one they've ever done. Uh, Pastors.com is the Saddleback people, of course. Right, it's right, the first right. one they've ever done outside of Rick Warren. So we're all walking this journey kind of together and they have, you know, 1.2 million pastors on a on an email list. So 
Uh, we didn't go through Zondervan or Thomas Nelson or somebody like that. It's out. It's God there. God bless you. Okay. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's wonderful. So, so the title of the book is Life on Mission by Tim Harlow. And, uh, yeah, so. Lifeonmission.com. Lifeonmission.com. Find it. Get it. Be challenged. Be encouraged. And uh, be excited. Yeah. It's You're cool. excited. I am excited. <laughs> I mean, that's I'm a grandpa. I'm excited. <laughs> no, I'm excited about this too because it it is you know if if there's one thing I could say to most of the listeners out of this, the whole idea of the book is not okay. I know I'm supposed to be on mission. I know I'm supposed to evangelize. Here's another book to tell me how to do it. it you'll read this book and you'll go, wait a minute, he didn't tell me what to do. <laughs> exactly. It's it's very very simple, and for the churches that are doing it, and there there are churches all around the country doing it. It's a forty days campaign. It's it's five action steps. You connect, you serve, you share, you grow, and you pray. Um, but 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 it's not you know it's not. I'm going to take you on. It's my project, uh-huh. and and you're going to be you know my transactional evangelism project. It's just these are the things that we should be doing in our life. I was on a plane last week with some people that were flying to Cancun. They were Christian people flying to Cancun with two non-Christian friends of theirs yeah. that they do ballroom dancing with. And we got to chatting about things and and I said, uh, you know, hey, I, you know, they knew who I was through another contact and and I said, "Well, hey, I wrote this book. I want to give you guys this book, but don't read the first two-thirds of it because you've already figured it out. You're going to Cancun with non-believers yeah. that you're in ballroom dancing with." Yeah. You already get this. That's, That's all it. I'm really asking. You know, if, if I can help you with the rest of it, great. But just just be in relationship with them. That's just the way that it was supposed to be. Ah. Imagine that. Just be somebody's friend. Just be somebody's <laughs> friend. And then you have permission at some point yeah. Yeah. to talk to I think them. it's called loving or your neighbors yourself. Yeah. 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 Man, oh, rock and roll. Go yeah. play in bars or something like that, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would never do that. I'm a, I'm a man of the cloth. <laughs> All right. Well, Tim, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. It's uh, What a privilege. And a little shout-out to Seth Hurd there, yeah. the man who put it together. We love Tower, and uh, he's the one who connected us. So thank you, Seth. Yeah, thank you, man. All right. And we'll be back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Yo ho, yo ho, a pirate's life for me. We guns, we plunder, we rifle, and we'll drink up behind it, yo ho. We kidnap and drive it, and don't give a hope, drink up behind it, yo ho. Yo ho, yo ho, a pirate's life for me. And we're back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Well... I don't know about you, Aaron, but one regret I have is that we're still yet an audio podcast. There's no uh, video that comes along with it. So unless they do what you do and go to YouTube, our listeners will have to conjure for themselves uh, what this guy Tim Harlow looks like, what it's like to sit in a room with him. Uh, Although we're going to put a picture up on the Facebook page, I think. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, and if, if you're a Wilco fan, uh, he actually reminds me of Jeff Tweedy a little, like he could be a cousin or a, a brother of Jeff Tweedy. Yeah, you know, and that's... That, that didn't register for Nate at all. That's of such help to me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, sorry. What an enjoyable obscure. conversation. And, and I can see this is, you know, if J- Jesus is described as being a very relatable person that common people uh, were drawn to, mm-hmm. uh, Tim's a relatable guy. Yeah. 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 Uh, 
that, that's what I love about him. I mean, I met him in, in the driveway on the way here, and, and uh, when I got here, and uh, he didn't. That sounds bad. He didn't reek of pastor. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. That, that that thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, he didn't present. He was just a dude on the sidewalk. Yeah. And we were just kind of both figuring out who each other were, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And kind of started talking about sports and different things, and and then you know it's kind of one of those things. And as we're talking, we get in a room, we start the podcast and everything, start the interview. It's like, oh crap! Like, <laughs> I almost felt like I disrespected the dude, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> you know he's so he's so chill, man. Yeah, he's he's a very very enjoyable guy. All right. Well, we're honored to have had him here, and. Uh, uh, honored to have you, the listener, join us in the Pirate Podcast. Love for you to uh, join the conversation. Do it on the Facebook page or hit us with a tweet or send us an email at samsonpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. So uh, I think, is that a wrap, Aaron? Are we about done for the day? Uh, that, that is a wrap. Okay. So we don't want to say, no, don't. Don't rap. Don't rap. <laughs> Okay. I uh, almost went. I almost made Mondo go back into the '80s Christian rap vault again. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right. Well, until until next week, then. I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. Mondo. And that's Mondo over there at the board. Uh, we'll see you next time on the Pirate Monkey. Hear me up. Hear me up.